We are in a series that we've entitled Encounters with Jesus. Now, encounters, something that each and every one of us will have in our life. We'll have encounters with individuals that shape our life differently from that point on. I can think of two significant encounters that I had. One was 25 years ago. I was working the math out this morning. I think, man, it used to be I'd be able to tell stories a couple of years ago. But now it's like 25 years ago. So 25 years ago, uh, I was going to pick up my brother, who was 16 at the time, and he was involved in uh, something in the town where uh, we lived at that point called Bedford, uh, connected with a number of churches where they were seeking to reach out into a community. And as part of their reach out in the community, they were running a whole list of different events going on throughout the week and uh, pulling in different family groups, different individuals to serve them. And I went along, so I've been working, just literally started working in the civil service. At age 18, I had a car, I thought I was it. And so I drive up to pick up my brother, go into this room, and as I look around, I see there's these different individuals around, it seems like there's a bit of a buzz. And then my eyes get caught by someone. And I look across the room, and there's this girl, at that point she was 16, face painting some children. And there's something about who she was and how she face painted that I was drawn to. And I can also say I thought, she's pretty cool. And I remember making a bit of a beeline to her and uh, introducing myself and going to lengths to show how amazing I was and wanting to see how amazing she was. And as I got to talk to her, I realized, man, she is amazing. And uh, I remember at the end of that kind of time that we're packing everything away, and I, I said, hey, I'm, I'm about to speak with my brother a lift. I wonder if you would like to have this time. As I wanted to know, I wasn't only very good at talking, I also had a car. <laughs> as that conversation ended, I genuinely thought, and some of you think, really? Age 18? I'm a pretty intense person, I'm either all in or not. I thought, do you know what? I think I'm going to marry her. Her name was Lucy. Woo! Now, 25 years later, we're not married. It took four or five years to convince her of that. She, in that moment, she often recounts and says, you came with the intensity of thinking, I'm going to marry you. She said, I thought, he's got the car. <laughs> and that was the basis, really. I think the second encounter, I think, that shaped my life is one, so that's that one 25 years ago, then we moved 10 years later, 15 years ago where I'd moved to Birmingham, Lucy and I'd moved three years previous to that to help start Oasis Church as part of a team, a team that was led by a guy called David. And I remember David calling me and saying, hey, let's, let's just catch up. Do you mind just coming to my house? And we were going around to his house and we sat in his garden in Mosley. And as we were talking, he suddenly said, I feel like God's opening the door for Philip Ryan, his wife, to move to London and to plant a church. And I don't know what that means, I just know we've got to go. I remember sitting there thinking, we had such a fun time doing what we've done at that point. But realizing that what was going to happen next is that we weren't going to move to London, that Lucy and I had been called to Birmingham. And in this moment, I knew that this encounter was going to mean something different from my life moving forward. And from that point, God gave me faith and grace to play a part in leading this amazing community that's called Oasis. And I look at it and I think, there are encounters we have, 
that it's reshape our life from that point on. And my guess is we could spend the rest of the morning telling one another of stories of encounters we've had that have shaped our lives. But why we're looking at this series we've entitled Encounter with Jesus is what we discover is anyone who encounters him, and each of us actually could tell of that story, of how we encountered Jesus for the first time, is that our lives are never the same ever again. And you read through scripture these moments where individuals encounter Jesus and they can't help but leave changed forever. And the thing is, it isn't meant to be that we encounter Jesus once and say, that's it, I'm no longer going to live with myself at the centre, I'm going to live with him at the very centre of my life. I mean, that's it, I don't get on with it. No, no, Jesus' invitation is that we continuously, daily, moment by moment, encounter who he is. As the one who lived, who died, but rose again. And the invitation is for us to encounter this resurrected Jesus in order that he continuously is changing our lives so they're never, ever the same. My hope is that as we've been here, like in this series over the past kind of few weeks, that what we've come to discover is as we see these stories, very familiar stories often of individuals encountering Jesus, that it allows us to fresh to encounter who he is in this moment today. And that's what my hope, my hope is for this morning. Now, today is a day which we've marked out. So we did it last year, we're doing it again. This year is we've deemed it to be a commissioning Sunday. At that point, some of you are thinking, I don't know who's doing that last year. We did do it, I promise you. And in it, what we're trying to do is say, there's a Sunday where the whole purpose of us getting here is to actually say, right, we want to not take for granted what we're doing, our life stage the job we do, the recovery part of, the family we're seeking to raise, the community we're living in, our retirement, whatever it is, our life stage, the things that we're doing, as well as who we are. And so we're not just going on with life, but rather in this moment we can remember who we are and what we're about and offer it again to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you use me in the unique environment you've placed me? And that's what we're going to get to at this, the end of this morning, is that moment of saying, Jesus, we come again and say, we're not here for the sake of it, we're here to reveal the wonder of who you are to everyone and everything. And to help us do that, I want us to look at encounter at Pigment. And so if you've got a Bible, it's going to appear on the screen, you can read it in the scripture, it's on Matthew uh, chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. A familiar story, but an amazing story. So off this, verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place. That's where Jesus just literally heard that his friend John the Baptist had been beheaded. And so he, at this point you can understand that he's knowing that, understanding that things are starting to escalate in terms of his time on earth. He knows there's a track that he's here to do, which is to get to a point of death in order would be resurrection. And he knows things are starting to escalate. And so he gets to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. 
And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. A familiar story, often for many of us in the room, maybe you've not heard this one before, but it's quite a phenomenal story. Where Jesus performs this miraculous moment of provision for everyone there to satisfy the very need they had for literal hunger, uh, for, for hunger at that point. Now, in it, how Jesus does that is by not just saying, well, okay, sit the crowds down, down to me, here we go, I'm going to reveal now food for everyone, but rather he uses the disciples and he uses this moment to say, hey, I'm going to ask you to give what you've got in order that it could feed everyone here. And the disciples get this moment here, but you've got to understand, we've like turned up with our packed lunch, and you're seeking to provide a banquet, a feast. Like, how's this going to work? And Jesus just simply says, look, give us your, your packed lunch, and I'll show you what I can do with that. And so they present their packed lunch, and Jesus tries over it, and miraculously multiplies it, in order that it would feed everyone present. But not only feed them, actually give them everything they need in order that there will be surplus left over. Such is the wonder of God's provision. Such is the wonder of His grace that He's always providing more than we could ever contain. Because you have this wonder of this story. Now in this, there's loads of different things we can teach, but I want to pick up on this moment for today. Is that the truth is, Jesus looks at each and every one of us and looks at the places that we're placed. And the fact that those of us here have said, now we've centered our life on who Jesus is. He says, well, in centering your life on who I am, I now want to call you to cause everyone else around you to taste and see that I am good. That Jesus longs to say to you and to me, hey, look around in your workplaces, your home life, your communities you live in, the shops you shop at, the hairdressers you get your hair cut in, the universities you're placing, the schools that you're at, the uh, retirement that you're seeking to live in, the life stage you're at. Jesus says, look, in that moment, where you are, I say to you, you feed those around you. But the thing is, when we hear that call of Jesus, I think often there can be that sense of what disciples had. Because they saw the, the vast crowds around and thought, yeah, but Jesus, you don't understand. I've just got a packed lunch. I think for many of us, we can find ourselves saying, yeah, but I've just got five loaves and two fish. But when I look at who I am, I look at what I do. I look at the influence I have. I look at the scale of the individual's lives around me and the, the sense of need and brokenness or the sense of the fact they feel like he's got it all together and I look at what, who I am or what I've got and I think, yeah, but I've only got five loaves and two fish. And I think as a people, we live in that word only too much. And if we're going to get to a point of saying Jesus wants to come and commission us in order that we know we're here to change not just the city, not just the nation, but the whole world as partnering with him in his desire to renew the whole of the universe, we need to start to live without the word only. 
And that starts firstly by hearing how Jesus responds to the disciples. Say they say, hey, I've just only got five loaves and two fish. What does Jesus say? He doesn't rebuke them. He says, what are you doing saying only? Just bring them to me. See, the starting point for every single one of us is that we bring who we are and what we've got and present them to Jesus. And for some of us, maybe we've never put our life and trust in who Jesus is. And maybe this morning we think, well, well what does this mean for you? Well, my hope is we're going to see through this morning that actually the invitation to know Jesus isn't just to transform your life, but it's to cause your life to then be transformed in how you get caught up in living the wonder of how good God is and revealing that goodness to everyone around. But for many of us, we know that we have sent our life on Jesus. And therefore, as I said at the end of the sermon, we get to a moment where we say, I present, here is my life, Jesus. I bring it to you, literally. We're going to have a moment where we present, lift our hands and visualize everything that of, we, of who we are, everything that we're involved in, say, here it is, Jesus, it's for you. And Jesus promises what happens in this story is he's going to take it, he's going to multiply it, and cause many, many people around us to taste and see that he is good. To be fed to the point, not that we're left kind of empty, but rather that we realize that we've still got more to give. But before we get to that point, I think it's really important that we pull back slightly, because I think it isn't that we're just to continuously come to Jesus saying, oh, I've only got. I think Jesus wants to come and multiply what we've got through us understanding that we don't need to live with an only. And therefore, I want us to look at something familiar that Jesus said in a moment. And in it, as we look at what I want us to do, is look at perspective, privilege, and purpose. And as we understand those three P's, so maybe you think, oh man, do you have a P thing? That's okay, you'll remember it. Uh, is that as we get to see those, what it will do is it causes us to start to see the chipping away at onlys in our life. A chipping away, saying, actually, no longer am I going to live on an, yeah, but I'm only me. I'm only involved in this thing. It's going to chip away at that. So in order that we get to point saying, Jesus, this is who I am. This is what I'm involved in. This is where you've placed me. And I say, would you multiply me? Would you cause me to feed many around me? So let's look at this scripture. I'm going to read it through the message version, because it's the, my favorite version of these verses. Uh, Matthew 5. If you're a regular here at Oasis, you know that I love talking about this. I have no, I give no apology for it. Because until we live in the reality of who we are and what we're here to do, uh, I will, I will not up. So here we go. Jesus says this. Let me tell you, Matthew 5, 13, 16. Let me tell you why you are here. I get your ears up, isn't it? If you've centered your life on Jesus, this is why you are here. If you haven't yet centered your life on Jesus, this is the invitation to understand why you're here on this planet. He says this, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. 
keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I don't know who you think you are, but who Jesus says you are, and who he says I am, is that I am salt. You are salt. I am light, and you are light. That's why you're here on earth. It isn't that you could be salt, or you could be light, if you kind of got your life a bit more sorted. Or if you're a bit more like the kind of people who seem to be, uh, oasis seem to be really kind of up for it. They often sit there at the front and you think, man, I wish I was a bit more like them. Maybe if I was like them. Maybe if I arrived and immediately, as soon as the Andrew strums his guitar, I'm like, right into the front, like, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. Maybe at that point, people understand that I'm light and I'm soul. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If you're a follower of me, it's who you it's who you are in your fragility. It's who you are in your brokenness. It's who you are on your good days. It's who you are in your ace days. It's who you are on your worst days. It's who you are when you fail. It's who you are when you succeed. Who we are assault and light. And that therefore means, and the invitation there, is that we don't get to be that in and through every circumstance of our life. So we are it. The choice, though, is will we be it? So isn't it, I know, but if you understand the fragility I'm living with, or the sense of failure that I've done at this point, you understand that there's no way I can be this. I need to hide away. If people really understood where I was, they'd kind of persecute me. I need to hide away. Show no one that I'm so alive. No, no. Jesus exists, and that's like, Nuts, isn't it? They don't light something saying, oh, it's really dark in here. Don't worry, everyone. I'll light it. Light a candle, get a bucket, put it over the candle. At that point, it was like, you're nuts, Adrian. What are you doing? But the whole purpose is you just let it shine. So even in our most vulnerable moments, the call is that even in that place, we get to be those that are soul and light, get to reveal something. And I love how Peterson puts it. Because sometimes we can think of soul and light as a kind of defensive position. What we're here to do as far as Jesus is just basically hold the ground. I don't know, let's, let's, it's this far and no further. You know, there's the world out there full of darkness, but we'll just kind of get together and we'll be salt, preserve it, light, occasionally shine it. And the person kind of gives this different way, isn't defensive, but rather one of active celebration. That we're called as salt and light to be those that add the God flavors and God colors into the world around us. Now, for some of you, maybe it's Sunday morning, maybe you're still getting used to the fact that I'm back off holiday, slightly more energy than you should have on a Sunday morning, but that's the reality, that's who I am. But in it, I don't know about you, I found it exciting. The fact that why I'm here on this earth is to add the flavor and color of the God who created the universe here. In this moment. I don't know if that excites you. I don't know if it suddenly gives a different perspective of what's going to happen tomorrow morning when you wake up and you think, oh, I feel tired. Oh, really? I get to bring the colour and flavour of God throughout my day today. And do you know what? No one else might be doing it where I am. Or getting ahead of myself. But 
And I find it exciting that who we are is salt and light. And what we do is we add God's colour and flavour. But what does that look like? Because that all sounds jazzy. I can sound excited, but does it have any substance? N.T. Wright says this. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new... Oh, just to warn you, I'm about to really take off. I'm about to get too excited for something. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonise earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is about. When I became a follower of Jesus, this is what I've told. And I don't disrespect those who told me it, but I think it limited something of what I live with. I was told that if I put my faith in Jesus, my eternal security would be fine. In other words, that when I die, I get to be with Jesus in Cloud City forever. And I thought, man, that's great. So what I've got to do is hang on now with Jesus until I get to be with him. Sounds very disrespectful. In heaven, not really really sure what that was, probably like Cloud City in Star Wars. Clouds and Jesus, rainbows and thrones and angels and weird animals. I get to dwell there forever. So this earth, well, you know, it's just what it is. It's kind of going down the pan. And because of that, I get to cling on. What N.T. Wright is pushing here is what Jesus said is that it isn't that God has given up on earth. In the resurrection of Jesus, it birthed a new moment that says actually God is completely committed to earth. So committed to it that he's going to renew it and restore it just as he has his son in resurrection and redeem everything about this planet and the whole universe. In order that God himself who is in heaven, which is a different realm where God dwells, would come and inhabit, be placed on earth. So N.T. Wright says, therefore, we're not here thinking, oh, let's snatch a few more to heaven. Let's hang out in the departure lounge, waiting for the jumbo jet to heaven, and occasionally tip out of the departure lounge. Do you want to join me? I'm going on a one-trip-way trip to heaven. Here's a golden ticket. Then go back, sit there. Ooh, when's Jesus coming? When's Jesus coming? And you think, well, that, I don't think that's a very good life. I, th- I think it's pretty boring, to be honest. If the best it's going to be is I get to sit down and occasionally tiptoe out and say, hey, do you want to come and wait with me? don't know when the plane's coming, but I thought I'd wait here till he does. That is a boring existence. And so what Jesus came is he said, I've come to give you life and life in the full. Oh, Therefore, that life in the thought surely is this, that we get to populate this earth with the reality of where God is, the life of heaven here now, which is what God's colour and flavour looks like. Suddenly, I'm woken up. I say, oh, no, I'm not hanging out at the departure lounge. I get to invade this earth, revealing of what is to come, that one day this whole planet will be filled with God's goodness and love. And I therefore get to be an ambassador of that, saying, hey, this isn't how it's always going to be. I get to people to taste and see the colour and flavour that God longs to birth and reveal in this earth because it will happen. Don't believe me, Revelation 21-22. Heaven invades earth. I'm going to read it. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are there for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. That's our destiny. If you put your faith in Jesus, that's your destiny. We get to bring this in now. Saying, hey, this is the life we're going to get to enjoy. When heaven invades earth, we get to now add this life wherever we are. Now, before we get to look at that, can I just encourage us with one thing? We are living in a unique moment as a community. We're living in a unique moment of a community with the shadow of death around us. That we have loved ones within our community who are facing death. Now, all of us are facing death. That's the reality. But some of, it, some, of them, some of our community know that more imminently because of the diseases they're struggling with. I tell you what, if we are bedding ourselves in this future, we will start to despair and we will start to lose hope. We must bed ourselves in our future and hope. Because one is we get to pull it into the now, but two is we get to know that death has lost its sting. It has no victory. And therefore we don't stand as people kind of believing ourselves into hope. We rather stand as a people saying, no, we have this firm and sure hope. Why? Because the moment that Jesus was resurrected, he defeated death and he caused this destiny to be our destiny. And we must cling on to this. And so I'm not going to apologise for it again, but we will be looking at this again in a couple of weeks because I think it's so important in the culture we're living in, with all that's going on in the world, there is so much to fear, and yet actually, we have such a hope to bring it to this moment now. And we need this to fill our gazes. If you're not reading this regularly, I'd encourage you to read Revelation 21-22 regularly, because it will do your heart good. That's your destiny. Anyway, quick aside, back on track. Add colour and flavour. What does it look like there? This is our future, I'd say, from that passage, we find that we get to add the colour and flavour of hope, love, comfort, justice, mercy, healing, belonging, forgiveness, peace, beauty, safety, honour. So whenever we're adding these things in, we're causing those around us to taste and see that God is good. We're causing others to understand that we're here, bringing the God colour and flavour. We don't have to say, just a moment, can I have silence in the office? Silence in the hairdressers? Silence in the co-op. I just want you to know we're about to witness the colour and flavour of the dear Lord Jesus entering this place. It's not that. It's that we do it. And as we do it, people taste it. They say, but that tasted good. Why? So I can tell you a story of my wife, Lucy. Lucy, who uh, is involved in education. Lucy uh, was seeking to care for a, a class, uh, get them through their GCSE. Uh, in that class, there was a number of individuals who did not want to do their GCSE. And therefore, there was an immediate lock-in of Lucy wanting them to do as best they can, and these people thinking, we're not going to do that. So there's immediate tension there. There's also a tension of these kids are written off. No one's got time or attention for them. 
One in particular is bullied just because they're questioning things about who they are and their sexuality. All Lucy does is this. Over the ten months, she loves them. She shows safety, that costumes them. She encourages them. She reveals that she's for each of them. That she sees them as people who can be honoured. And she seeks to bring healing sometimes. At the end of the ten months, one of the people who's been bullied, been questioning, comes up to Lucy and says this. Miss, in front of the whole place, how you are to me is like Jesus. Lucy never said, I'm a follower of Jesus. Lucy never said, let me tell you about Jesus. But when you taste and see, you can't help but start to think, what is it about this person? I can talk to you about Mike Blaber, just because he's not in the room, so we do it. So Mike, who this last Monday gets invited to talk to a load of medics who are involved in hospital, doctors and consultants on well-being. And then it might just share something of the story we've been on as a church in terms of why well-being is important. But he starts it off by telling about his own story of frailty, of getting to breaking point, and how he realised there had to be another one. At the end of that, what happens? Mike reveals some things of hope, of mercy, of love, of honour, and of comfort. At the end of it, he had streams of people coming to him, saying, I didn't know anyone else felt this way. And the lead consultant comes to him saying, please would you come and do this again with a different, more senior bunch of people because we need to hear this. Why? Because when you taste and see the goodness of God, his colour and flames, you can't help but drawn in and say, hey, come in here. Let me see more. I have to tell you about my hairdresser, Scott. Scott and I have had a relationship <coughs> through hairdressing for over, <laughs> for over nine years now, maybe ten and all it started off with, I sit on the chair and I'd say, Scott, how's your life? And I'd listen. I'd understand him. I'd comfort him. I'd honour him. Do you know what? Scott now will tell me anything about his life. In it, it's streamed into why are you like this, Adrian? Why do you always ask questions? I seem to have to always ask other people. So, of course, you've got the Jesus bit in. We've talked about Jesus, but it wasn't the starting point. It was the point in which he got to this point saying, but how calm your life is. I'm tasting and seeing something. Can I open more of my life up to you? What is going on? So we have now many conversations that are intertwined with this stuff and the wonder of how Jesus can satisfy that with him. But this is a 10-year, sit-in-a-seat, 15-minute haircut journey. Scott now has a number of people within Oasis who go and sit in his chair. <laughs> What's really funny is he'll often start the conversation with them saying, so this is where I got up to with Adrian, can I now see what you think? <laughs> I, I joke with Scott saying, Scott, God is on your case. He now has a Christian employer. She's continuously saying to him, Scott, you need to listen to Adrian. <laughs> I mean, it starts off by just tasting and seeing that God is good ourselves and then revealing that tasting and seeing to others of God's faith and colour. But this is just privilege, or perspective, sorry. We're going to quickly do privilege. 
Because the truth of it is this. When we have a perspective of who we are and what we get to do, suddenly it causes us to live with this privilege of who we are and where we're placed. Which means that, again, it starts to kick out and chip away that word only. Because each and every one of us has been uniquely designed and placed by God. You see, bar an invitation by me for you to understand where Scott's hairdressers is, you're not going to find yourself in Scott's seat. But I tell you what, I'm not going to find myself where you are. I'm not in your workplace. I'm not in your family setting. I'm not in uh, your recovery. I'm not in your retirement. I'm not in uh, your community that you're living in. I'm not in your household, not in your university campus, but you are. And you have uniquely, and I have been uniquely placed by God where we are to uniquely reveal his God and flavour. It is colour and flavour there. That changes things. The privilege of what God's done, that God trusts only you to be where you are, to reveal his colour and flavour. Which causes us to live with that sense of value. Like what we do matters. You might think, yeah, but why? It doesn't really matter. In the grand scheme of things, when I hear about a Mike Glaber standing in front of like a hospital full of consultants, and what I do doesn't matter. Yeah, but Mike Glaber is where you are. Mike Glaber hasn't got the privilege to bring the wonder of God's colour and flavour where you are, and through your life, through all the life things that you're facing at the moment. Therefore, we get value. God's chosen you. God's chosen me to be where we're at. To be living through what we're living at the moment because he knew that you and I uniquely could live through this moment revealing his flavour and colour like no one else. It doesn't mean that God's putting rubbish stuff around us and saying, oh, get all this rubbish around. No, no, it's that God promises that he will always bring about good through things that are there to bring, to present evil to us. So things that are there to harm us, God's going to turn to good. This is one of those moments, so when you track like how the Ricketts and Rosiers and the Hoggles are journeying with cancer, whereas it isn't that these guys are thinking, oh, this is so awful. Yes, there's moments of that. But it's also knowing that in this moment, with this stuff that we're facing, we get to reveal the wonder of the colour and flavour that we've tasted. And I tell you what people notice. And a friend of me saying, a friend of mine saying, said, the darker it gets, the smaller a light needs to be to be seen. And I think often we can think, it's only when I get this big lantern blazing. But I tell you what, when we're just hanging in there, it feels like we saw the night is holding but actually, in those moments where it feels like the night is holding on, just a flicker, just a flicker of our light reveals the wonder of his colour. <coughs> and we also get to celebrate. We get to celebrate together because suddenly it releases from that sense of comparison and competition. So it means that we're not looking at others and saying, how am I doing in terms of being colour and flavour givers compared to them? Or how am I kind of competing, you know, oh, they've, they've done this, well, let me just quickly go there and say, hey, I've done this. No, it means that we get to celebrate. We get to say, actually, we're all in the same thing. God's uniquely placed each and every one of us where we are to bring God's colour and flavour. Therefore, whenever that happens, 
to the degree of whatever it looks like, we get to celebrate with one another. So the three stories I tell don't become like this crescendo of, oh now, let's kind of put the pinnacle of colour and light bringers, or colour and flavour bringers, as Lucy, Mike and Adrian. And no, it's we get to celebrate that and say, hey, we can share loads of stories. We need to get someone better at celebrating each other's stories. Do you know what? The number of conversations I have with people in Oasis, I hear how they're bringing colour and flavour. I say, hey, please, would you share this? Because this will blow people's minds away of what we're doing. And I'm always met with a... Last P, purpose. See, when we get perspective, when we understand the privilege, we suddenly realise the reason we're here is to bring his colour and flavour. That Jesus longs for us to present all that we are and all that we do to him. Losing the word only and saying, here it is. Would you multiply who I am in order that I would cause many to taste and see that you are good? And I promise you, the only answer you will hear is yes. This is story. There's a guy called George. George was 13. This is the turn of the last century. So it's around the early 1900s. And George came from an incredibly poor family. He lived in Suffolk. He had uh, little uh, in respect to material possessions or provision. And one Sunday morning, George heard some music playing outside a shack of a house. And he goes out to hear the music. And he goes out and it's a fresh March morning. And as he goes there, he hasn't got any shoes to wear. And he hasn't got a coat, but he's drawn by the music. The music's been played by a Salvation Army band. And as he listens to this music, it just warms something in him. But he's still got no shoes, he's still got a jacket. At the end of that band playing, one of the band members just silently walks up to him, takes off his shoes and gives them to George takes off his coat and puts it around George and then walks off with the other band members with no explanation. George can't help but be drawn in by what he's tasted and seen. And so he tentatively walks behind this band and, and follows them until they get back to the building that they're from, which is this Salvation Army building. And he waits for quite a while outside, getting the courage to go inside until the point he manages it and he goes inside the building. As he goes inside, he goes and sits at the back and just watches and hears about who Jesus is until someone notices him and comes and sits by him. And asks him why he's there, actually George recounts a story of how he's got his shoes and how he's got his coat and he just doesn't understand. This individual, who isn't the guy who gave the shoes and coat, just says, well this, this is what God's like. He's full of grace. He's one who gives us what we don't deserve out of his love for you. And I tell you what, the shoes you wear and the coat you're wearing are nothing compared to what Jesus has to give you. And George in that moment says, that's it, I want it. I want everything from Jesus. And he centers his life on Jesus. The thing is, the bandsman, the bandsman who gave his shoes and coat no one knows his name. All we know is about George. All we know about George is he lived his life as best he could, centering his life on Jesus, in order that he could introduce his son to who Jesus is. 
in order that that son could introduce his son to who Jesus is. In order that that son could introduce Adrian Hurst, who stands before you, into who Jesus is. You see, we can think the small act of the colour and flavour that we add in will only have a minute impact. I don't ever know that bandsman's name, but one day I hope I get to meet him. And I hope I get to reveal and share with him that the moment that he caused George to taste and see that God is good didn't just change George, but it changed generations. And I don't know about you, but that kind of excites me. To think, God, what could you do with little old me to change multiple generations of people that I never, ever know about? Because Jesus gets the glory. Which gets us to this point now. We encounter Jesus at a picnic. And at the picnic, I think there's two responses. The first one is this. I believe. Maybe today you just come and you thought, well, I thought I knew what following Jesus was like. I didn't realize that it was this. I want it. And the moment where I get everyone to stand and put their hands out, what you're basically saying, Jesus, is, I want it. I give you everything of who I am. In order that I receive everything of who you are. And Jesus is saying, I love that. And if you do that, what I want you to do afterwards is just come and speak to me briefly at the end. Just because it'd be great just to connect and just talk a little bit. Like but for most of us, we'd say, No, I, I know who Jesus is. I know I could have been living this life with Jesus, but again today I can't. And I say to Jesus, not take what I only have. I say, Here is what I have. Here is who I am. Would you take it and multiply it in order that many, many people around me, for generations to come, would taste and see that God is good? Should we stand? Let's just close our eyes, don't get distracted by other people. In a moment, what's going to happen is I'm going to pray for us all once we've responded. As we said, I said this is a commissioning Sunday, and I believe in the moment when we present Jesus, the whole of who we are, our life stage, what we're involved in, we say, Jesus, here it is. Would you use all that I am, all that I do, to bring colour and flavour of who you are to everything and everyone? that Jesus will come with a fresh sense of anointing and commissioning for us to live differently again from this point. So just, in a, just for a moment, just think about what makes up your life, what you do, the life stage, the, the great stuff that's going on, the hard stuff, all of that. And just having done that, if you're at that point of saying, Jesus, would you be supporting me now to put your hands out? Just sort of saying, here is everything who I am. Maybe, as I said, that first thing, maybe you've come to say, I didn't ask this is what it meant to follow Jesus. And I'm just saying, I'm all in. This is your moment saying, here it is, Jesus. Everything of who I am. To receive everything of who you are. For many of us, it's that we're saying, everything of who I am, I give to you. Maybe you'd use everything of who I am to reveal everything. 
Jesus, I thank you for every individual here. I thank you for the beauty of what it looks like when we gather. But God, I thank you so much for the wonder of what it looks like when we're scattered. Scattered into the unique environments you've placed us into. Entrusting each and every one of us where you've placed us as those that you knew could bring your colour and flavour uniquely there. And God, we just ask now, would you come and would you cause us to know by your Spirit's power a fresh sense of your anointing to be the colour bring us, the flavour give us in the environments that you've placed us. I really ask that. I pray, God, that even now in this moment, the onlys that we've lived with will just drop off but that we no longer belittle who we are, but rather we live in the reality of who you say we are. And God, I pray that would cause us to live differently through our worlds for the rest of the day, but also tomorrow. I pray for tomorrow morning. I pray the environments we find ourselves, that we wouldn't stop off thinking, oh no, it's just me. We think, oh no, this is amazing. I really ask that, Jesus. And God, I would pray for the stories that are to come out of this room. And I pray, God, for the generations that are to be changed through what goes on, through what we do. And I pray, God, we celebrate much in what you're able to do. But God, in this moment, we receive everything you have for us. And we say, God, would you use us to cause many to taste and see that you're good. We ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.